All right, Faith in the Fast Life. We are so excited to be here with Brett Berner today. Uh, Brett has an incredible story. My man Forrest is with me. We're in the podcast booth. We got a, a new makeshift podcast booth right now. We're working on it. So for the video, this is kind of uh, this is in process. We moved out of the bedroom at the house for one episode with Danny last week, and uh, we are now in the basement of a building. We're so thankful for our, uh, our donors who are helping us make this possible. And we got my man Brett here today. We got an incredible story to hear. Um, so man, we'll just jump right into it. As always, we're not scripted. We're just here to hear what God has done in your life, Brett. So let's go back a little bit. Tell us about you, who you are, where you come from. Tell us. Oh, I was raised here in Pueblo, Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. I started, I grew up in the Catholic church. Okay. And, um, the, the gospel that I was shared with when I was a child was, um, far from the gospel that I now know to be true. Okay. Um, the gospel I was shared with when I was a kid was something along the lines of, you're a sinner, you're always going to be a sinner, you need Jesus because you're a sinner, and you're still going to be a sinner after you accept Jesus. And um, I strayed away from the faith. Um, in high school, got into, started out smoking weed, then selling weed, then ecstasy, partying, um, selling, doing, selling cocaine, um, caught a felony charge at 19, caught my first felony at 19 years old. Um, on the run multiple years. Um, ended up in prison twice on that same charge. Uh, let's, let's, uh, before you go too far into this, yeah. let's go back to that childhood a little bit. Yeah. So you grew up here in Pueblo. Yeah. Um, let's give the, the listeners a little bit of a background. You have, uh, both of your parents. You yeah. raised a single family home. How was that? Uh, I have both my parents. They divorced mm-hmm. when I was five years old. Okay, so so two different homes. Yes. Was it mom taking you to Catholic church or dad? Mom. Mom. So was that just kind of a, a what I call habitual Christianity, where you just go on Sunday, then the rest is out the window? Yep. Sundays and holidays. Sunday. Easter, Sundays, Easter, Christmas. There you go. Yeah. So go go do that. So obviously the Catholic church, which I don't know a lot about it, but very similar. You know, I went when I was younger. Um, Catholic church was all that I knew, and it was with my grandparents, not my parents. So it was once in a while if I stayed at their house. I uh, never really learned what they were teaching. I just knew that the guy standing up on the, the stage, as I called it, was was better than me, was the way I looked at it, um, because he got the fancy robe or whatever. And I just I never even bought into it, right? So I went down a similar path. But so young age, what, what year or what age did you start to break away from that? church right when they didn't tell me i had to go okay and so where'd you go from there like do you go into like skateboarding or like what what did you do like to give us a little yeah. bit of a glimpse of your childhood like what was the things that that motivated you like what did you do at those younger ages i started skateboarding when i was pretty young um skateboarding and i was uh been snowboarding since i was eight on skis since i could walk transition into snowboarding when i turned eight and doing that ever since a little more into snowboarding than skateboarding kind of skated just to keep keep my keep my feet on my snowboard but um, right yeah that was that was definitely a huge motivator in my childhood um, seeking after those dreams yet also falling into the dark culture that kind of surrounds those sports yeah i hear that that's a lot of what we're why we're here right like that's going i grew up in the action sports world yeah. and it's surrounded by darkness and we're, we're diving back into it man so we're stoked to have you here so you know with me 
you know, my story, I'm, I'm riding a lot of bikes, doing a lot of BMX, those kind of things. So we kind of start going down that other path and we're smoking weed and we're doing that. It was kind of the same thing with you. Like you're doing the snowboarding, you're doing the skating, and then you start falling into the, the drugs. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, it wasn't necessarily the people that I just used to skate with or ride snowboards with that I fell into that with. But once I fell into that, they meshed together pretty quickly. Right. So tell us more about that. Like, how did how did you come across marijuana? How did you come across those things? Um, just a childhood buddy I grew up with, smoke weed, so I was smoke, smoking with him. Um, then I uh, didn't really think too much of it, you know. Um, oh, it's into uh, the deception of oh, it's natural. It's, it can't be that bad, you know. But um, uh, the Bible says I'm pretty sure over fifty times to say sober, or over twenty times. <laughs> I yeah. know about fifty. I can't remember the count either, but yeah. it definitely says to be a sober mind for sure. Yeah. Forrest, you want to comment on that? Uh, <laughs> not on that, but I do want to comment and say, uh, I want to ask the question to Brett is how old were you when you were kind of exposed in that direction? Um, before freshman year high school, before freshman year. So probably 13, 14 years old, somewhere in there. Yeah. They're already hitting you. So that's what Forrest and I are a little bit older. Obviously I think it was, it was really high school that that stuff really started to become exposed to me. Yeah. Um, and it started to wander into those things. So you step in, you start smoking weed. It's, uh, it's okay. Cause it's natural. What happens next? Where does that go? Um, started selling it. Um, just like what was the motivator behind selling it? Like just making money or was it part of an identity thing? Like often I see, you know, if you're the guy that has it, you're the cool guy, you're the sought after guy. Like what, what was the motivator there? All the above. Um, yeah. I was, it was definitely became an identity thing and uh, as well as making money and being able to smoke as much as I wanted. Yep. So, so it was, uh, it was, I remember there was a rap song back in the day that said, never get high on your own supply. That's why I was never a drug dealer because there wouldn't have been any drugs to sell. So that's, <laughs> that's where we go with my story. But for you, so you're selling it. You're the king of your castle. You're on top of the world. You got money. You got drugs. And it starts with marijuana, which I've often called the gateway drug. I mean, people call it a gateway drug. And I, I my testimony is 100% that's the truth. That, that There's no doubt. Where'd you go next? Partying. Uh, that turned into partying, trying ecstasy. Um, I, cocaine always scared me when I first saw people doing it. It scared me for a good while. And then... Uh, after after I tried that, just fell very quickly into uh, started selling that. Saw the profit margins in ecstasy and cocaine, and fell straight into that. Uh, kind of just smoked smoked weed and sold ecstasy and coke. So how uh, how old were you at that point when you started selling cocaine and ecstasy? Like sixteen. Sixteen. Years Fifteen old. ecstasy, sixteen coke. So pretty pretty fast progression. You're going from thirteen, fourteen. You start smoking, and then you start selling, and now it's into the harder stuff because you're able to justify it, right? You're already doing it with weed. So, and this is, give us a timeline. Like what year is this? Mm. 2009, 10. Okay. So that was pre-marijuana being legal in Colorado, correct? Yeah. Because we went legal here like 2013 or something, 2012 maybe. Yeah. So pre, pre that being legal. So you're progressing from selling marijuana into the harder drugs, um, partying, doing your thing. 
How about like your high school? Did you finish high school? What what happened with all that? Graduated early with a three point five GPA. Nice. Yep. Yep. Had a, a smart mind doing other other things, right? You had to had to figure out a way to make money. Um, I feel you, man. I feel a, a lot of similarities there. Um, so you get out of high school. You're still selling. Tell us more. Um, I graduated early. I graduated when I was 17. Uh, moved out of my mom's house at 17. Moved into a house just selling coke full time. And at that point, it was uh, also pretty much a full-blown coke addict um, in the midst of selling drugs. And, um, you know, did did that for a couple of years, just running amok, um, just living the criminal lifestyle. And uh, 19 years old, 2000, 2013, caught a felony charge, distribution of cocaine. Um, three years probation. Off top, uh, I was an addict, still not really trying to even stop doing any of the stuff I was doing. So pretty quickly messed up my probation, ended up on the run for over a year, get caught, and um, I went to Department of Corrections here in Colorado. What year was that that, that you got? So first, what were you, what year did you get the felony? 2013. 2013, you get the felony. Did you serve any prison time at, at that point? No. You just got three years probation. Yeah, I had a clean record. So, yeah. Okay. So then you start to fall off, um, get back in a party, and you get hemmed up again. Yeah. And at that point, where'd they take you? Uh, Department of Corrections. Department of Corrections. And how? What year was this now? Fourteen, fifteen. Fourteen, fifteen. So you're yeah. you're out on probation for a couple of years, kind of toeing the line, but getting in trouble a little bit, and then. You end up going to the Department of Corrections. Yeah. And so tell us about that experience. What's that like? Uh, I don't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I was, uh, served 10, 10 months incarcerated, four months in the halfway house. And uh, uh, it, was, it was nothing nice. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's prison. Um. <laughs> we, I mean, you know, for whatever reason, I, I never ended up there. Like, I wasn't a drug dealer. I was just a drug addict yeah. so i uh, i didn't end up in those places so the only recollection me and a lot of these listeners probably have is what we've seen on the movies so tell tell us more about that what is that like in there um a bunch of broken men walled in the same place told to get along and follow the rules um, with no outlets other than exercise and reading as to um, heal through their brokenness. And there, there is church in there. Um, and as, as, as we progress in kind of my story, we'll, um, it'll become apparent that uh, I, didn't, I did not get met by the Lord when I was in those places. Um, okay. Even though I, I would go to church sometimes and go be a part of that and seek after the spiritual in various ways, um, that was not where the Lord chose to meet me at a crossroad gotcha if um if uh if as you're as you're in prison and you're not really getting met there how about like the drug stuff does that continue in prison like the movies say or is like were you clean and sober the whole time you were in prison i was clean and sober yes okay not everyone is that way um 
the charges upon having drugs in prison and doing them in prison, even just having them in your system, are uh, it's very risky. Um, like you're already incarcerated, so you can go anywhere, and then they just tack on five or ten years of your sentence. Yeah. And so shit. you were you were smart enough to stay away from that mess, knowing they get more. So you're in there for ten months, and then you go on probation or into a halfway house for four months, right? Yes. So tell us about that experience and, and what happened after you left the halfway house. Uh, well, I was uh, on paper in the halfway house. I was perfect, perfect resident. Um, yeah, I was uh, running amok in there too. I was already back, back um, selling drugs, doing... Uh, From the halfway house. Yeah. Okay. Um, but at this point, I transitioned into psychedelics, which um, don't show up on UAs and... Um, I was very deceived and convinced that these uh, the psychedelics were spiritually helpful in healing, and I um, part of my identity um, fell into the deception. I was some type of a spiritual medicine man or something of the sort. Right. So I love that you know, and God just kind of put it on my heart as we're talking about this, and, and it really boils down to identity, right? Like even me through my addiction, I was always chasing something right and i think all the people out there we're all we're all looking for something bigger but we keep steering away from jesus right so you're the same thing now you're thinking you want to be on top you want to be that person you want to be what you had always been which was needed right like i mean as a drug dealer you probably you feel needed right people need something from you um so you move into psychedelics and now you're a medicine man who's making money doing all those things in the halfway house. I mean, would you say it boils down to an identity crisis, not knowing who you are? Absolutely. And the only way we can ever know who we are truly is through Christ Jesus. It's the only way we can. He says, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father is through me. He means it. To come into a relationship with the Father is to really know who we are as sons or daughters. Yeah, and that's that's our truest identity. Anything other than that is a lie. Yep, absolutely. So at that point, you're living the lie. You're a you're a spiritual medicine man, and when you say psychedelics, I'm assuming like mushrooms, acid, LSD, that that kind of stuff, right? Yes. Um, and they can't test you for that, so they have no idea. So you're you're passing UAs or whatever, right? So tell us where that leads. Obviously, you're a perfect resident as far as that program is concerned. You get out of that after four months, and where do you go from there? Um, moved into an apartment on parole, and uh, got back with uh, this this girl who I was with um, for um, number a uh, few a couple of years. Even before I went to prison, I was with this girl. While I was in there, went through some very trying uh, trials on my heart through that. While you were in prison, you went through those trials yeah. because of this relationship. Tell us, tell us more about that. Um, I being in a relationship in prison is hard enough. Yet being um, coming out of an addictive relationship prior to leads to leads to hardships in that that I don't feel obligated to go into um, to protect that person. And her family. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. For sure. So it was tough. You went to prison. Yeah. 
basically you lost that relationship because it was an addictive type relationship to begin with. Yes. That was just hard on you. So we won't worry about talking about that side of it, but tell us a little bit about what you felt based on losing that relationship and also losing the addiction, right? I mean, did you withdraw when you went into prison? No. No. So you just went and you were fine. Yeah. But you were hurting because you're also losing a relationship. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Well, we won't touch much on that. I just wanted to see kind of kind of where you were with that. So now you come out of prison, you come out of the halfway house, and you're back with this girl. Yes. Tell me more. So my identity was in my relationship and in being a drug dealer. It does come down to identity. That was the whole of my identity was my relationship with this girl and being a drug dealer, and that was who I was. Um, I was now sober, um, passing my UAs. Once again, on paper, look, I look excellent. Sober from everything else, but were you still doing the psychedelics? Um, maybe every once in a while, but pretty, okay. much, pretty much just sober. Um, and uh, on paper, looked excellent, um, but I was back selling coke within a few weeks. Um, started um, moving a lot of weight. And in that being sober, started making a lot of money, but being young, dumb, and uh, young, dumb, and full of pride, just running around, gold watches, gold chains, um, going out to the clubs, just running amok, um, coming home with pockets literally stuffed with cash, like could barely fit it in there. How how old are you at this point? Um, early twenties. Early twenties. What year, yeah. approximately? Sixteen, seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and uh, I thought I was on top of the world. Yeah, there's, there's, and through all of this, I think, like looking back and through all, of, there's always something missing in my heart. That's what I'm seeking after with all of it. Yeah. Trying um, to fill a void, right? Like so many of us do. We don't like the way we feel. We don't like that emptiness we feel inside. So we're searching to fill it with something, but we didn't know that it was Christ is the only thing that can fill us. So as we're running amok, as we're young, for all the listeners out there, you know, maybe you're going through this. Maybe you know somebody who's going through something similar like this. Share this podcast with them. Share Brett's story with them because that's what God will do. He will use Brett's story to do it again in somebody else. So for the listeners, think about that. Who do you know that's empty? Who do you know that's hurting inside? Who do you know that's trying to fill that void with anything else, whether it's drugs, sex, strip clubs, pornography, you know, being a drug dealer, whatever that is, it there's a void in there and they're searching and Jesus is the thing that can fill that void, right? Yes. So you're filled your 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 pockets are filled with cash. You have the girl, you have the life, you have all of that, but do you still feel empty? Always. Always. Tell me more. Um uh, progress forward a little bit. Um my relationship ends with that girl. Uh, and then three days later, I got robbed for everything that I had. So, like, they come to the apartment and, like, break oh, down the door? and well, I was gone. Oh, wow. Came home. Everything's gone. So, um, three days after you end the relationship, all of a sudden, everything you have is stolen from you. Yes, and that messed me up mentally pretty bad because I had thought she had something to do with it. So, my whole identity down the drain, um, someone who I had trusted, I thought that they had something to do with what had happened into pretty much just checked out on life i was like all right i'm done i'm out i'm just gonna just lay here give it gave up on parole I just, i'm just gonna slowly kill myself with drugs and that wasn't necessarily 
but I was consciously thinking that's what I was doing. Just right. Because you didn't like what you were feeling. You just lost, you had your identity stripped away from you. What you thought you were was now stripped from you and you feel like you have nothing to live for. So you're just going to mask it with drugs. Yep. So you went from pretty well sober, maybe psychedelics once in a while to losing your identity to dove back into all of the drugs, right? Yes. Where do we go from there? Um, little bit into that, I have a buddy um, named Ryan. Yeah. Uh, later, um, he he's actually the one who ended up baptizing me. But at this point, neither of us were saved. But this is kind of when he came into my life, and uh, he came and he was just like, "Hey, man, like we got work to do. You need to get like get off your butt." And really, that's when I really got on the psychedelic thing, and I I was fell into deception. I've got to change the world with. LSD and these different things that I was deceived into thinking was the way. And did Ryan lead you into that? Or you just kind of, he said, we got things to do. It, it was, um, it was what he was, it was what he was already intended. Like, yeah, that's already the path that he was on. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, so we went in, I went it just head first into that live one on the run from parole. I'm a fugitive from the law again. Fast forward, just um, deep, um, getting involved with those people, uh, psychedelics and uh, MDMA, ketamine, these different things that people will justify today, um, even today, and even the government's making certain of these things legal moving forward and um, in the name of progression, progressive, and it's just... And the it's name of the enemy coming <laughs> into the world, right? Just to, for, for the listeners, remember that the, Satan is the ruler of this world. Yeah. For us believers, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. Yeah. So he's uh he just keeps pushing that narrative, huh? He's he's doing his best. Yep. So you're going along this, you guys are are uh spiritual medicine men. You're you're gonna change the world with these psychedelic drugs. And where does that lead? Um eventually back to prison. Um not on any new charges. I just got picked up on my warrant for running from parole, go back to prison, um, and finish out my time, serve about nine months, finish out my parole in prison. So I get out off paper, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing to do. Like as far as legal stuff So no halfway house after that nine months, it's just nine months and out. Mm-hmm. No parole, no halfway house. And, uh, just, um, Cyclic story hit the ground running back back selling drugs within a couple weeks within maybe a week Spent some time with my family and my mom's and then right when hit the hit the ground up uh, up north up in Denver um, Back back doing doing what I had been doing all that I knew to do at that point You know Nick. It's funny because I knew Brett for probably 12 13 years of this life story and it was always that up and down road. It was always this, you know, roller coaster ride. I remember, as a matter of fact, he was down in Pueblo. We lived in the same neighborhood, uh, and he was getting his teeth worked on, because because he had some some teeth uh, issues, etc. And uh, man, he was running by guys super fit, you know, and he's got you know dreams, event, and aspirations. We sat and talked for a moment or two. This is right in the thick of where he's at in Denver, 
back in the swing of things, doing all of his radical stuff. But he's thinking, oh, I'm going to be like a UFC MMA guy. I'm training and he's looking killer. He's looking good, but he's running this fast life that is, you know, nonsense. And uh, I remember that was about two to three months before God showed up in his life. And uh, it wasn't long thereafter that I got a, a phone call that revolutionized the whole story. Can you dive in and tell us about that encounter? Well, tell us about that first. So, so something I just caught out of that. So you're coming out of prison the, the second time, right after a nine-month stay. You go right back into selling drugs, but does that situation go hand in hand? Like you're coming out, you're in good shape, you're wanting to be a UFC fighter. Tell us, tell us elaborate on what Forrest just talked to us about a little bit. I never had any dreams of being in the UFC. I was just training with a buddy up in Denver, um, but enjoying it. It was fun. Um, but uh, I was just in in the in the thick of the business that I was in um, when I got out of sober uh, out of prison. At this point, um, so I uh, I had gone in a in a relationship and another relationship get, coming out of prison with a girl. Um, fell into identity in that just like I said very cyclic in this in my story as many are um and then uh I uh, was in the thick of selling uh, ketamine at the time um half pound a week just running through money running through drugs um and then uh that girl and I broke up and I just I called my mom I was like hey I'm gonna come home get my head straight you know and I just came down just got com- completely sober I was like, okay, cool. At this point, another girl kind of came into my life, helped her get sober off meth. Um, then we go up to go back up to Denver, and we're both sober. And uh, I get at this point, I'm like standing on about as solid a ground as you can stand with in sobriety without Jesus, um, which as shaky as that is, that was, uh, um, and uh, I got s- scouted for lack of a better term by a criminal by the criminal organization I've been with involved with for years at this point, I got kind of scouted by them. Um, and, uh, the dude was like, I'm, I'm moving to the coast. Uh, do you want, do you want the keys? Do you want the keys to Denver? I was like, sure. So, um, ended up getting put on, uh, put on do, uh, pretty much being the, the plug for, for Denver, for Colorado, just, um, moving, too much, too much drugs than I really care to uh, admit at this moment. Um, just uh, running through hundreds of thousands of dollars, and um, in the in the midst of that, um, just uh, that that girl and I broke up, and uh, I was right in the midst. Like uh, Ryan, who I'd mentioned earlier, had kind of come back in my life. At this point, he'd been saved for a few months. And he comes back in, just uh, starts scanning the word of God with me. I, I so, so in the in the criminal empire, if you will, the drug empire, you basically have been, you got the golden ticket. Yeah. Like you got all the money, all the drugs, all the everything you want for the entire, basically Colorado, but Denver, major area. Yeah. So you would think that as you're an identity crisis, that's going to fulfill you. But you probably still feel empty. Very. And then... Ryan, who was your partner in crime, if you will, at one point in time, all of a sudden he steps back in and he's been saved. Yeah. Right? So tell us more about how that starts to to work and unfold. 
So um, I'd never been rejected of Jesus. I was just, uh, I was in a, in a lot of the new age deception, like, uh, you know, the whole thought of, oh, like Jesus is just one of the ways there's truth in all these different things. And we just got to like pick and choose the truth that works the best for us is basically just the denial of absolute truth, which is a lie. Yeah. Um, and he just, he, he came back in my life and he just started getting in the word of God with me. He just, he, he didn't judge me for what I was doing. He didn't point a finger at me. He didn't, he didn't say that he condoned it. Um, he didn't condone it. He didn't take part in it, but he just was my friend, loved me and got in the word with me and the Holy Spirit started doing stuff in my heart. So what this whole time you're still basically got the keys to Denver, right? You're still selling drugs, but Ryan's in here and he's, he's pouring into you yep. working with you. Okay. Yep. And, um, and the Holy Spirit starts doing stuff in my heart. And the, only, the way I can describe it, it's, uh, you know, we think of like the scales that fell off of Paul's eyes uh, after he goes to Damascus um, and meets with the, meets with the disciples. As, uh, like this Holy Spirit just pulls, pulls the blinders off my eyes. Sorry to see the truth of what I was involved in, the truth of what's really going on around me, um, the, the evil that's in the world and actually seeing evil as evil and understanding, um, that the only good is really God. And, um, and started to question what I was doing in the midst of that questioning. That's when that, um, that's when, uh, I pretty much decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get out. I'm, I'm done with this. And then in the midst of that decision, um, getting, breaking away from that identity, I was like, all right, I'm going to get out of the game. I'm just going to go be with this girl and just go get a nine to five and just be with this girl and just put my identity in that. And then we, her and I broke up, so I put my identity back in selling drugs. So there was a brief period there. So Ryan's pouring, you're starting to feel that you're seeing the evil for what it is, realizing yeah. that you're in a bad place. But then you had some identity still in that girlfriend, and all of a sudden she leaves, so it's... My identity in. was not yet in Christ. Okay, I hadn't surrendered. Salvation and surrender go hand in hand. Salvation, I don't believe salvation is achieved until you actually surrender lordship over to Jesus. If you if you say I'm saved but your life does not look any different, I'm hard pressed to say you might wanna you might want to take another look. Yep. Amen. Absolutely. It does change you. The Holy Spirit will actually change you. It's saying it's a process of sanctification, right? Too. It's a it's an ongoing process. We're all getting better every single day. Just keep walking. Just Absolutely. keep walking with Jesus. So yep. Didn't really know him yet, so you're 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 getting things poured into you. You're, you're starting to walk, but then something bad happens. Which happens to so many listeners and so many people out there, right? Like we're doing really good. Maybe you're walking with the Lord, and something doesn't go the way that you think it should, and we revert back to what we were the most comfortable with. Which in your case, you went back to selling drugs, right? Yeah, which I hadn't really fully gotten away from at all. Okay. I just had made the decision to, um, and then... Okay, so you had decided that you're going to get away from selling drugs, but then this went down and you just never really left. Yep. Okay. Um, so go back to selling drugs. In the midst of that, in early August of 2020, I had three very close friends near and dear to me pass away in three days. Drug uh, related? All three. Drug overdose. Okay. One after the other. Two of the three of them were very involved in the psychedelics that I had been deceived in thinking were so helpful and healing to those who were and taking And that's them. what they actually overdosed on? No. 
Okay. Overdose on other things. But I was in the deception that psychedelics were to help people get away from those other things. Mm. Um, so the, my first buddy, by the name of, we called him Roz. His name's Robbie. He passed away. Uh, I just seen him eight hours before. The night before, I gave him a big hug. Love you, bro. See you soon. Get a call from his mom the next morning crying. Wake up to a call. She says, I found Robbie on, on his floor, dead in his bedroom with a needle in his arm. So took took that punch to the heart. Next day, my friend Megan, um, I get a call from my friend out on out on the coast and says, "Hey, we just found Megan dead in our spare bedroom, overdose on heroin." Boom, another punch to the heart. Just, uh, and then uh, next day, get a call from two buddies I hadn't heard from in a long time. Said, "Hey, have you heard about Taryn? Taryn's the girl who I'd been with for a number of years." Um, uh, when I'd gone through my first prison sentence and uh, different things, but and um, she overdosed. Uh, I just talked to her a couple weeks before for the first time in a long time. Just re- actually, by the grace of the Lord, got a chance to ask for forgiveness and reconcile for some of the things that had happened in our relationship. And I'm thankful for that. Yet, it just breaks my heart to see what that uh, what that addiction does to people the torment that it carries mm-hmm. in um in life and then bring people into death um so just took a one two one two uppercut to the heart um and i fell on my knees before god i'd start at this point i'm in the word every day i'm not saved but i'm in the word every day i'm praying and i fell on my knees before god at this point i said god i said if this stuff is so good and so helpful and so healing i said why are my friends dead right now and he spoke to me. Mm-hmm. He said, my son, the way into sin is the way into death. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. And I wrestled a little bit because I knew what that meant. I knew that meant to give up completely everything I was involved in, to give up all the, like, the way I was making money, the only thing I knew at this point for 10 years. And um, as I had mentioned earlier, like the, I didn't get encountered by the Lord when I was a coke addict, when I was sitting in prison. Like I, I, you know, I had moments of, like maybe feeling his presence or this, that, but he, he really presented me at the crossroad and I had a hundred thousand dollars sitting in my closet. He's like, and I wrestled. I was like, I was like, do I want to give all this up? I worked for 10 years to get here. I was the deception I was in. I was like, I worked for 10 years to get here. And the Lord put on my heart, the scripture. He said, what good is it for a man to get in the world and lose his soul? Yep. I, uh, I met with the people I worked for, had him a Delphi bag with a hundred thousand dollars in it. Gave everything back. I said, hey. I said, I'm done. I'm out. I said, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. And went and moved in with a brother and sister in Christ who got saved around the same time as me, a dude who I used to sell LSD, MDMA to. He used to supply me with mushrooms that he grew. Both got out of the game around the same time, got saved, different stories um, around the same time, and uh, moved in with them. This is 2020, right? Yep. Okay. Moved in with them. And... um. And uh, that ended up uh, applying to YWAM missions, uh, missions organization, uh, YWAM Kona, and um, and uh, feeding into the miraculous power of God and His redemption. Uh, I actually caught new charges, two two new felony drug charges in January 2020. I didn't find out about them until July. I get saved in August. And I'm, I'm going to court. I got money to pay an attorney. I go sit down, talk to an attorney, have thousands of dollars ready to, ready to put down to 
see if I can get out of trouble so I can go to YWAM, go give my life to God. My life's already God's, but I'm like, I'm giving my life to missions. I sit down with this dude, and he pretty much tells me 99 ways how we can dance around the truth to get me out of trouble. Needless to say, Holy Spirit in my heart, I didn't give him a dime. I walked out of there, got in prayer, decided, uh, sought, some, sought some wise counsel from brother in Christ, and decided, you know what, I'm going to represent myself in court. said, I've ran, I've, I've ran, I've lied, I've done a whole lot of the wrong thing for my entire life. I said, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. I'm born anew. I said, I said, I'm new, not doing it the old way. I said, I'm going to represent myself in court, God in prayer, and I'm coming up. I'm got my whole YWAM application filled out, didn't turn it in yet because I got this court stuff going on. I, uh, I'm in prayer every night, like, Lord, just coming up on court. You know, I'm like, Lord, do your will. Lord, do your will. One night, the Lord speaks to me while I'm praying. He says, son, pray boldly. You know, and I'm, my eyes kind of get wide. I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay. So I, I pray. I say, I say, Father, said, you know me better than I know myself. said, you know my heart better than I know my own heart. So you know what I'm willing to do for you better than I ever can. I said, I ask for you for a full pardon on this case so I can serve you and you can send me to the darkest places on this earth so I can shine your light there. In Jesus' name, amen. Come up on court. I got, uh, one of my first court dates, I go in there and the call, judge calls my name. I stand up. He's like, hey, do you want to get an attorney? Representing yourself, or, or, or he didn't even mention represent myself. He's like, You get an attorney, you want a public defender? I was like, Nope. So I'm representing myself. And he kind of wide eyed looks up at me, you know, kind of eyebrow up. He's like, You know, you're facing a significant incarceration, right? I said, Yes. He said, Do you know how to try a case? I said, Not exactly. He said, Okay, you're on bond, go be on bond. So I go, and um, at this point, I'm like, Okay, I'm just prepare myself for what, what might happen. So I just start researching my charges, you know, looking at my criminal history. I'm, I got two felony drug charges. I'm facing six years in prison. You know, that doesn't include parole. I'm facing six years in prison. I'm like, you know what? I'm like, if that, if that, if I need to go to prison for six years for doing the right thing after 10 years of doing the wrong thing, trying to run from, I said, I'm, I said, I can do that. I said, I'll go sit in six prison, six years in prison and read the Bible with God if I need to. I said, and my life's in his hands. That's cool with me. Um, and uh, I uh, get my whole criminal record all on a disc, you know, kind of doing playing the part that an attorney would play and just scrolling through it. And I get my discovery criminal record. I'm, I'm looking at double digit pages scrolling through this, you know, hand, hand over my face like, oh, boy, like. I'm like, because I'm just thinking of it like this is what the prosecutor is going to be looking at. I'm yeah. scrolling, scrolling through it, scrolling through it. And I'm like, this doesn't look great. Now I got an entire criminal history of drug addiction, fugitive from the law, uh, flight risk, um, previous drug distribution charges. Now I'm facing another two felony charges. I'm like, man. But I, I believe what God says. I'm like, I'm a new creation. So I, uh, and I have no idea how he's going to pull this out by trusting the Lord. Um, in the midst of this, too, because I was, I, as I said, I was waiting to put my YWAM application in. I was like, I got to gotta hold off on this till I get this done. And the Lord just kept waiting on my heart. He's like, just put it in and watch what happens. I just finally, I'm like, all right. So I put in my application. And right after I did that, it was like everything just kind of fell into place, like puzzle pieces in a puzzle that only he could put together. It was just do 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 And 
Um, first, first I get a call from the school leader of YWAM before I even um, figured out the course stuff, and she, she's kind of doing uh, doing my interview to see if I'm right for the school, you know, and, and uh, starts telling. I share a little bit of my stories. Like, okay, cool. He's like, well, let me tell you about the school. This one's called uh, this the um, like this school's extreme places, hardest and darkest. Starts telling me about it, like all the places we're gonna go, closed nations. He's like, man, like. Like we we're looking for a special kind of person to to go to go to go to these places. He's like, this is not a normal kind of school we run. He's like, you're gonna be uncomfortable. You very well actually might like be at risk of like not coming back. I'm like, <laughs> I start crying on the phone. Um, if you remember my prayer, that's exactly what I asked for. I started crying. I was like, brother, I said this is an answered prayer. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. And I accepted the school, didn't mention my legal stuff because I just I had no idea how the Lord was going to do it. But I'm like, you know what, I trust it. And then um, a couple of days later, I get a call from the prosecutor. I'd, let, I'd called them every day for, you know, a um, number of days, if not a week or more at this point, just every day leaving messages, get a hold of the prosecutor on my case. And first call I get, dude calls me. He's like, hey, um, like, what do you want? And I was like, I need to talk to the prosecutor on my case. I'm representing myself. He's like, well, you don't have a prosecutor assigned yet. I'm like, well, can I get one? And he's like, he's like, okay, we'll figure it out. I'll have someone call you. So he signs a prosecutor in my case, get a call. You know, uh, I think the next day I'm at work. And, um, I, uh, oh yeah, back up a little bit. I, uh, when I left, left, left selling drugs, making six, uh, hearty six figures a year when I got a job at a sandwich shop. Um, and in the midst of that, man, I'd never been more stoked. I was just, um, just literally go to work, come home, just a little part-time job, pay rent, pay for food. And I would just read the Bible and spend time with God. And I was never more filled with joy. And I just had like, just such a sweet time just being with him. Just like every time that like my roommates would like, I'll, I'll be gone from the house. I kind of peek around and be like, yes. And I'll just be in my room, just like screaming with the Lord, just like, just praising him, like full out like killing my voice kind of praise and um so that was just so sweet so um fast, uh i regress um i'm uh i'm at work get a call from the prosecutor and uh he uh, i pray to the holy spirit i'm like holy spirit like just fill me fill me give me the words to say i don't know what to do you know and then um i just i just word vomited the truth i i think i I literally called the dude brother. I was like, I was like, brother, I said, I know exactly what you're going to see when you look at my file. I said, you're going to see a drug addict and a criminal. I said, that is exactly what I was. I said, by the, I said, I got saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, baptized August 26. Uh, I've been completely 100% sober off all mind altering substances. I got a job. I'm paying taxes. Uh, all I do in my free time is read the Bible and spend time with God. I said, what else can I be doing? God willing, I'm going to this school and giving my life to missions. I'm like, what else can I be doing? How can we get this done? This is like December, January of uh, like December, 2020, January, 2021. I'm supposed to leave for Kona, Hawaii uh, in early April. And then three months after that, leave the country. And I'm like, I have no idea this is going to work. If we remember back to my first charge, three years probation off top, no criminal record. Now I got double digits, criminal record, drug addiction, flight risk, all this stuff. And I'm like, God, I have no idea you're going to work this out. I just word vomit the truth of this dude. And he, uh, he tells me, Mr. Burner, he said, these are the kind of cases I like where we, where we can actually help someone to move forward in their life rather than putting them, them somewhere because we don't know what to do with them. He said, here's what we're going to do. 
He said, we're going to put you in this program called diversion. You're going to do everything we tell you to do. You're going to take your UAs, do everything. He said, if you're, if you do everything you need to do, he said, we're going to dismiss all of your charges <laughs> and give you paperwork to seal your records. Like it never happened. <laughs> I shouted, I started crying a little bit. Thank on the you, phone. Lord. I, yeah. Thank you. Lord. Thank you. Lord, Cause that is, that's a full pardon. And that's exactly what I asked for in that, in that prayer that you told me to pray boldly. And, um, so I get put in this program. I'm at, I asked him, I'm like, can we get this done in three months? I'm like, I got, I'm sorry, I was supposed to leave the state in three months, leave the country three months after that. He's like, tell them when you go see them. And like, well, we'll go from there. If they don't figure it out, give me a call back. We'll figure it out. So I go see the people I was supposed to go see. And they, same thing, just pray to the Holy Spirit. We're vomit of the truth. And um, I get to the end of it. He's like, all right, so we're going to have you do this. This pretty much gives me like all, a lot of the minimum stuff, community service. This, I'm like, can I do like community service involved with the church? You know, I'm just like trying to just just pour as much into as, as I can into into like just focusing on on, on Jesus. And he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, I'm like, can we get this done in three months? He, and he kind of looks at look up at me and like when I think back to it, I just – almost remember like a Holy Spirit twinkle in his eye, you know, he's like, that kind of gives me that like eyebrow uplift. And he's like, I get to write the contract that you get to sign for this program. And I will put it in your contract to be done by April 8th. So I go through this program. I sign the contract, go through the program, do everything I'm supposed to get my final exit uh, paperwork on April 7th, fly out to Kona April 8th. Um, and needless to say, I know very well, that I was bought for a price and that my life is not my own. Mm. Yeah. Saved by grace. Yeah. Through faith. Yeah. Huh. That's amazing, man. So, so, I mean, we've heard the bad, we've heard how God, like, I mean, literally, but we talked about <laughs> in our prayer before we started, right? Like, I mean, left the 99 for the one, there's so many more out there hurting, mm. but he had a call on your life that whole time. And even sometimes I like to think that as you, as you're going through these struggles and you're in that lost state, um, I know my personal story, I can look back to several times that God was talking to me and doing things for me now, but I didn't see him then because I wasn't listening. I'm sure you have a little bit of that yourself. But the trials that he's put you through and these things that you've done have now prepared you for what you're about to go see and what you're about to go do. Even preparing you for this moment of doing this podcast today was not by chance. It's all part of a bigger plan, and you're living that. And how, I mean, I'm going to go back to our listeners right now. Think about the people in your lives, listeners, that are struggling, that are lost. You know, I was an addict. Brett was an addict. Um, here we are. We're serving the Lord. And you probably know somebody. I can't remember the statistic, but, I mean, it's pretty much every family is affected by addiction or alcoholism in some way. Think about that person. And how could you pour more into them? How could you turn them to this podcast? Let them hear Brett's story of what God has done in his life. How could you help somebody truly see who they are? The only way that they'll be fulfilled is when they know Jesus and they surrender their heart to Jesus. So for Brett, for you to be here today to tell us this, man, like that's, it's got to feel good. It's got to feel, tell the, tell the listeners how great that is to be here today. Everything that I'd searched for my entire life, fulfillment and what I did, fulfillment in other people, everything that I sought for, every, every understanding that 
of wanting to be loved was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Everything. There's nothing like it. That void that you had is now full because you have Jesus. So we came from the darkness. We're walking in the light, sharing the light. Tell us more about YWAM and what you're doing in, in Hawaii. So go to my uh, discipleship training school, my DTS in YWAM Kona in April of 2021. Um, Having an amazing time, even even just the, like, you know, we're in Hawaii. A lot of people are like, oh, weekends, like, let's go out. Like, let's go to the beaches. Let's do this. And I, like, I remember, like, my first two weeks there, you know, it was a lot of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go out, go to the beaches, just go, like, you know, go go do the Hawaii thing. And I remember the Lord spoke to me one day. He was like, why are you here? I remember I just, I was like, not for a vacation. He goes, yep. I was like, okay. So and from then on, my entire DTS, I pretty much spent the majority of my time in the prayer room there on my face in prayer in the word of God. And I uh, just hours and hours and hours. And man, I wouldn't give that up for anything. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just something so sweet about just being with him and just take, like, just, um, not that he would be upset at me because he looks at us like with such adoration, just like a um, just like a father looks at his baby boy or baby girl. But he just looks at us with such adoration. He wouldn't have been upset if I went to the beach every weekend and went and hung out with people. But he, there's just something special about setting other things aside to spend time with him and just like the, what he has for us and gives us in those times of um what we may think of as or like what of of what we can of what we in our reality can describe of as like sacrifice i'm gonna sacrifice this for him you know Mm. and i'm like the level of appreciation and like almost like giddiness that he has and we're like i'm just gonna go be with you he's like he's like all right i'm gonna show you something like okay so yeah um, we just that that time was just so sweet just um that was just whole lot of just a lot of healing a lot of just walking through things getting to pour into other people um just just being with him and then um went on outreach to south sudan um and uh (laughs) it was amazing out there man like we, we spent the first half of our outreach in the capital city of juba and it's the second most impoverished nation in the world like just like how blessed we are here in the way of like just you know, like they're like, um, like people joke and say like, oh, first world problems, but like it's it's so real. Like mm-hmm. um, we have we can like flip a flip a switch and have water, flip a switch and have have lights. Our power is not going out often. Um, uh, like there's there's not malaria there. I think yeah, nine of eleven of our team caught malaria while we were there, uh, me included. Um, only a couple of only a couple of our team got robbed with, robbed with machetes, you know. Um, like it's just it's very real. Other places, um, we were the only, uh, like uh, we had uh, like a Korean mom and then like a uh, one Korean one one Korean dude, a German young lady, and then the rest of us were all American over there, and we were the only people like there was a lot of like um what is it ngos non-governmental organizations over there to like aid the city and stuff and there was a lot of like people from other places who were part of those but we were the only like white people freely moving around the city 
um, like not not driving our fancy cars to the fancy supermarket, the only one there, and then driving back to our walled compound and segregating ourselves like an us and them mentality. We were the only, other than the family that um, we went and stayed with, the, the YWAM Juba base. Um, it's a family that actually moved long-term over there. David Hamilton, who's with YWAM, his daughter, uh, married a, a man named Jason Stewart, um, who's a, uh, and they... Uh, they have two young, two young kids, boy and a girl, and they moved to Juba. They live there, and this, um, what many people would look like, get online and be like, "That's a terrifying place to be." And like, they took their two young kids and moved there because they're like, "We want to give Christ, we want to give Jesus his inheritance here because he's king and he's worthy." Mm-hmm. And like, um, between us and them, like, we're the only people freely moving around the city who aren't like from there. And we're walking around, we're praying for people going to these communities where people just have like tin roofs and they're sleeping in the dirt and there's flies all over them. People got wounds and we're just praying, watching signs, wonders, and miracles happen, watch blind eyes open, women who can't walk, jump up and start dancing, walk all the way across town to church the next Sunday, Um, haven't walked in three years, like just watching, seeing signs, wonders, and miracles happen Um, and just in the midst of all this poverty and there's like alcoholism and different spirits and stuff going on over there. But in the midst of it, like these people have like a light of hope in their eyes that I don't even see here. Mm. And it's like, like often I don't often see here. Like there's um, almost like a spiritual sleepiness in the Western world and the Western church that um, it's like, uh, I've heard it described as a satanic lullaby. And um, it's just, it's different over it's different over there and um so we spent the first half of the outreach in the capital city second half we go out to these remote tribes in eastern equatoria south sudan partner with a ministry called seeking the lost missions which is a group of and uh and gospel fire international um gospel fire is more like the logistics dig, drilling the wells building the compounds doing like construction stuff kingdom builder work and slm is like the they're the like the apostles um, and SLM's like five core dude, five core people from Kenya, um, and man, it was humbling to hang out with these dudes. They are like modern day Apostle Pauls. These dudes, um, one of them is named, by the name of Julius. Still keep in touch with these guys; they're so amazing. But he's, yeah, uh, yeah, like you just just sit down with him for ten minutes and just ask him, just tell him to tell you a story, and you'll just you'll like you'll question whether you're even a believer. <laughs> like oh. he'll just. He'll just share his life, and you're just like, am I even a Christian? Like, Because he's like, yep, I got told by the Lord to walk nine days to this village. Don't know if they will accept me. You know, like, I'll go over there. I'm going to digress for a moment. Like, there's persecution because there's a lot of the animist culture, you know. Like, they'll ch- um, people are getting, um, uh, like, you might get chased out with sticks, shot at. There's um, disciples uh, who, um, you know, like, stories of people getting burned at the stake, like, different things. Um, but he's, you know, I'll be talking to Steve and he'll be like, yep, I told by the Lord to walk nine days to this village and no food and water for five of them, but I made it and they gave their life to Jesus and we planted a church. <laughs> yep. It's <laughs> just like, so, like super matter of fact. And like, cause these places you can't get there by car. You can't get them by motorbike. Like they're starting to be roads and stuff. Like you have to walk and they're just like, okay, let's walk. And they're, they're built different, man. Like, um, and so this seeking lost missions, they had a, they ha- they were through disciple what is it um, disciple making movement um, DMM um, which is the their method of church planning that they were utilizing 
which is also the method being used in the Middle East, uh, one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Um, I actually had the privilege of getting to connect with the spearhead of the underground church in the Middle East and being able to like um, just commune with him, start getting in their prayer meetings for for that for what's going on in the Middle East right now and stuff. And um, and so they're planning all these churches um, since two, so in 2018. They had a goal. They're, they're like, we we wanna we wanna plant 100 churches in four years in Eastern Equatoria among these remote tribes, and. Um, we met with them, you know, it's uh, like June 2021, and they got, they were at like around 90 churches in like around three, three-ish years, you know, and um, these churches, like their version of church, like church, church, just to clarify, like we are the church, church does not mean a building, their version of church over there is like between 50 and 300 tribesmen gathered around a giant bonfire worshiping Jesus under the stars of Africa for hours and hours. Yeah, just awesome. jumping up and down, just worshiping God. And just I remember walking to my first fireside gathering, looking at my buddy, looking at the stars, and I was like, this is unreal. Right. Like, you just feel the presence of God there, like all these people who don't even have a Bible in their own language. They're, um, they, like we, that was a lot of what we were doing. We'd go visit these different churches that were planned. We were like, sh- uh, act out and share Bible stories through translators, and they were just so hungry for the Word of God. That's and awesome. These disciples who are going out and planting more churches, um, was DMM. It's like make disciples. They go out, they make more disciples, and it's just multiplication of you know multiplication of believers rather than addition. And like they're they're under persecution, like heavy persecution. Like I said, burning at a stake and beat, stone, shot at, and they know a snippet of the word, and they don't have a Bible in their own language. They know a snippet, and they're like, "This is the truth. I'm gonna go tell it." Like, I just think, like, it's so convicting because I think here, I'm like, man, like, how many people in this, in, um, like, the, in the West have a Bible, have one or more Bibles on the shelf and don't pick it up and read it, for one, and two, man, like, oh, I'm, I don't really want to go evangelize, that's not for me, I want to tell people, it's like, if you knew the cure to cancer, would you go tell people? Like, the news we have is even greater than that. Yeah. You know, so I had a, wild. actually, um. Oh, I'm trying to blank on his name right now, but he told me once uh, it's a friend of yours that came uh, came surfing with us, the bush pilot in uh, oh in Africa. <laughs> yeah, Brandon Pinkoff. Yeah, Brandon. Man, I don't know why I was just because like because I had Brett and I wanted to say Brent, but it was Brandon. So Brandon, if you're listening, I apologize. But uh, he was telling me that because he's in Africa, right? And he said, you know, people over there are already so spiritual and they're so in need, so like they're inept to just absorb it. They just take it like they they they're hungry for it, but you get over here and it's so much harder for us to carry the gospel and evangelize this Western world because we take everything for granted. So, with that being said, as we kind of close to the end of the time here, like obviously just an incredible story of of you know the guy that that has all the worldly things. You've got the money, you've got the drugs, you've got all these things, but none of it could fulfill you. And now to hear you and, and to sit here and watch you tell this story and see the emotion that you had telling the old part and then how it transfers into you now. Like, I mean, if, if you guys can see this on yeah, camera, cool. I mean, the look on the kid's face is just like, yeah, yeah the Holy Spirit's here. And you, you've been through an amazing journey and praise God for you being where you are now. I, I like to ask at the end of every podcast, what's one thing that you want to leave the listeners with today? pinpoint one thing thinking about the western world here what's one thing that you want to tell that person that that is where you used to be 
What do you want him to know? Get in the word and pray before you read. It'll it'll do something in your heart that I can't explain. Yep. That's simple. If I may expand, I, I call I call the word of God the bread of the spirit. And if we think of like our bodies, you know, like we need we need food, we need water to nourish our bodies to make to, to allow them to get strong. Can't go exercise your body and not ever feed it anything. You'll probably die at some point. Our spirits without feeding it the bread of the word of God get very withered and wilted and weak. And we start to feed it, our spirit starts to get strong and be able to shine through and and fill us and fulfill us in a way that only God can do. Yep. That's it folks. So, uh, Brett, if, if the readers or listeners, readers, whatever that came from, if they're reading the word and they're listening to this podcast and they want to get a hold of Brett, how can they, are you on social media or anything like that? Or just check out why, when, what, what can you tell them for listeners? I got no social media, but I'll, you can have my number. I got 720-601-5989. Welcome to give me a call. I do not do social media. I'm on WhatsApp. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well, hit them up. You got questions for Brett <laughs> and uh, just stoked for you to be here today, man. We, we really, really appreciate it. So all the listeners, uh, www.fastlifeministries.com. Uh, for all of our episodes, all the links are there. Obviously, our social media accounts. Uh, you see a picture of uh, a Brett here. She so can kind of see who you're listening to and uh, check out what we got going on. Next episode's coming up. We just thanks for all the support. God bless. Thank you for listening to Faith in the Fast Life, brought to you by Fast Life Ministries. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to rate, like, and follow our podcast page so you can be the first to see new episodes every Wednesday. If there's someone who came to mind during the podcast, please send this to them. People like you sharing the show really helps us to get God's message out to a wider audience. Visit FastLifeMinistries.com to give to our podcast and keep us running. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.